3.30 p.m. and we are live. Right, thank you very much for joining us. Welcome to, where are we, episode 29 of One Chat Live. Um, and, well, again, I mean, I, every week I start off with, oh, have I got a great speaker for you? Um, but if you uh, work, in, we're having this chat offline, actually. In theory, if you work with runners and you um, are staying in, kind of contact with the latest evidence and research etc cetera, etc cetera. you should know this name like the same as you know you know who the president or the queen or king of your country is it's and yet i still come across therapists when i'm kind of talking about the conference we got in october who maybe aren't familiar with the name um but really if if, if you are into the research and you follow anything to do with hip strengthening or gait retraining or telephemoral pain or achilles tendinopathy then dr rich willie should definitely just be a household name for you um so if it's not i'm very excited because we're going to introduce him to you today if it isn't it should be a great opportunity for you to um obviously if you're watching live you're welcome to answer uh, to ask some questions to leave comments if you listen to the podcast um then uh, feel free to leave some comments underneath and we'll give contact details for dr rich willie um as well so you can contact him he's very active on twitter um so that's gonna be coming up very shortly we're gonna be looking at uh, tips for the older runner for the master's runner which I don't know, maybe because of my modesty, I don't like to call myself a master run. It just sounds like I'm too good, but that's the official name. We're looking at anything around 40 years plus. Um, uh, differences that um, start when you reach that age or 35 years onwards and changes you need to make in order to reduce that injury and, and maintain or increase your performance. Before we do that, um, I just want to mention as always our sponsors. Um, the Brighton Beer Company are kind enough to sponsor this show. Let's just give them a little flash here. If you are of the hissute kind on your face um, and you're into your balms and oils and, and combs and brushes um, and anything which generally makes you look good and smell nice, then do head over to the Brian Beard Company um, uh, They do ship international as well. Um, I'm biased because I've used them for years and obviously they sponsor the show. Uh, but um, I do urge you to go over there. The good news is, as of Monday, if you use the code... Um, rcl15 so rcl stands for one chat live rcl15 you get 15 percent off any products on there so that is great news uh as of monday okay that kicks in right so that said and done um we'll give rich's five second countdown and we will get into this episode of one chat live 19 all about um, the aging masters Hey, good, uh, where are we? Morning for you, is it, Rich? Yes, it is. Yeah, it is. Morning. <laughs> How are you doing, mate? Good thank afternoon you to you. Thank you very much. How civilized. Um, great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I hope I didn't big you up too much as a household name that you should be, but do you feel that everyone knows you? Or do you feel you've still got a message no, to be told no. out there? No, I, no, I don't. But thanks for that. I appreciate it. It's very nice. <laughs> well, it's so true. <laughs> good. I would like to make my guests feel special. Uh, but it's so true. It's like um, I remember a while back I had Elizabeth Barnes, who's kind of won the Marathon de Sable, and she's um, she's big on the Ultra Mirage, which I'm going to in October. And oh, like cool. I said to her, I think it came out all wrong. I said, like, you know, why are the people talking about Kim Kardashian instead of you? And it was kind of like a bit of an on-the-spot question. But it just frustrates me that people know who Kim Kardashian is. And they don't know who people like the winner of the Marathon of the Sable is. You know, it's like, especially with women, you know, where we're trying to big up female athletes and make them household names for, for kids and that. And I don't know what it is. I think it's the media. It might be something to do with our president and prime minister. I don't know. Something, something's going on. 
but anyway we shall uh, move away land you so um what are you up to how are you today what are you up to um i'm doing great i'm doing great so it's, uh, it's sunday and you know so it's beautiful i live in missoula montana which is in the mountains and another beautiful morning and uh so i'll head out for a run here in a little bit uh, once we get done so yeah uh, other than that so it's, uh, it's a great great time here in the summer I think um, I think I saw some photos. Was it yesterday? Were you out somewhere spectacular? I think I saw some photos somewhere. Was that you? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, so it's kind of our one of our backyard uh, mountain peaks, and so so I ran up to that, and um, I have a kind of a multi-day run that I'm doing later on this month. So I'm trying to trying to up my running volume so I can be prepared for that and enjoy myself rather than make it a suffer fest. So uh, yeah, so that's a that's a good run. It's about I think it's 18 miles and about 4,000 feet in gain. So, so it's a pretty good, it's a pretty stiff run, but um, yeah, it's, 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 we're so fortunate to, to have runs like that and the access we have to the wilderness here in, 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 in Missoula. Oh, it's definitely, yeah, I love the photos. It's inspirational. I suppose there's always the grass is greener, but some of the, some of the uh, background and the drop you've got over in that part of the world, are quite amazing. Something yeah. yeah. To run. You're a lucky man. Anyway, so. That's- so running we um you've been in this game quite a long time haven't you i say your household name but you've been practicing clinically for how many years now yeah this is my 20th year i've been a pt since 1999 which i which i can't believe so uh, of course if you do the math you'll see that uh i'm, I'm a master's runner so <laughs> I was gonna say. You know, so uh but uh, no, yeah, I've been doing it for a while. I've, I got my PhD. I finished my PhD in 2011. I got my PhD with Irene Davis at the University of Delaware. Um, so I was a clinician, a full-time clinician before that for for eight years. And then, you know, I, even now I still I, t- I still treat. Um, I guess it depends on the week. Um, probably four to eight hours a week I, I treat in the clinic. So um, so yeah, and that's something I think is pretty important. I, I think for researchers to continue to do is treat patients. I think if you don't. Um, I think what you end up doing becomes largely theoretical so yeah yeah i think it's uh i mean for example today we're going to be talking about master runners and you are i definitely am so it kind of makes it useful because i imagine you're you've probably been through some of the things you're going to talk about today in your own running yeah definitely for sure yeah i certainly have and am and i'm going to try not to make this all about me today but i might be asking you a few questions about my calves but anyway. no no i think that's i think that's fair because uh you know i think you know injuries like that those are pretty typical of you know if, if there's if you're a masters runner and you're tuning in today it's probably some of the things that you're you've maybe dealt with in the past or can are dealing with now so I'm, I'm happy to talk about that definitely and i do always i mean after this finishes there's loads lots of people who leave comments but there still seems to be a little bit of apprehension of actually answering questions maybe it's the status kind of the guests i've had I've just oh of us no i'm happy yeah, to think, hop on. no not me it's you i think people are scared <laughs> to ask you questions like oh, oh. he can't be bothered with little old me <laughs> No, but um, definitely, if you're out there watching, guys and ladies and, and men, and definitely ask some questions. This is your opportunity to get it from the top. So, okay, so um, yeah, masters runners. First of all, let's let's just classify. I mean, is there a? I suppose there can't be, but what sort of age is is going to make you a masters runner? Uh, well, you know, it, it all depends on the the organization. Um, so, like for for the world track and field, they consider uh, anything above, um, I, I believe, uh, thirty five to be masters. Uh, USA uh, running kind of considers anything to be above forty to be master. You know, the masters runner. So, from a from a, I guess how many trips around the sun, kind of classification. I guess that's how you would probably do it. Um, you know, I think from a biomechanical and physiological 
standpoint, um, you know, really we probably start seeing these changes when people are in their mid thirties. So I think maybe for our purposes today, I think, you know, mid mid thirties is kind of a good place to could, you know, to kind of start thinking about these things. And, and if, if you're not experiencing them yet, or you're, they're not a parent yet, it's probably a good time to really start thinking seriously about them. Okay. And this is, I mean, is, is a lot of this to do with kind of hormone levels like testosterone? Is that where the changes are coming from? Well, that's a good question. I mean, like all things, they're, they're kind of multifactorial, but you know, one of the, one of the, um, I mean, I think maybe you can kind of split it up into a couple of different changes when, when you look at running, um, you can look at you know, physiological changes and then also the biomechanical and, um, kind of tissue, tissue related changes. So, um, you know, I do want to give, uh, you know, major props to my, my co-author on a review paper that we wrote, um, which we'll probably be referencing a little bit today. And that's Max Paquette. He's at the university of Memphis. And, um, you know, he's, he's done so much work in this area and, and so have a lot of other people in this area. So I want to make sure you have props to them. Paul DeVita is East Carolina has done a lot of work in this area as well. So, um, and, you know, so I think, though, that when, when you when you look at those those different changes, you know, what, some of the things that happens, you, you know, it's inevitable we lose some cardiovascular function as we age. And, um, you know, it's just one of those things that it's, it's going to it happens to all of us. Um, and but with that said, though, you know, whether you run or you don't run, that makes a very big difference in the amount the amount of change that, that you experience. So uh, so aerobic capacity of like a runner in their 80s you know, someone who's been regularly training uh, is about double that of a runner who, or someone who, who hasn't been running. So, you know, running, it, you know, it, it kind of seems to slow that decline and an aerobic function. So I think for, I mean, I think everybody kind of can recognize that, but I think to put a number on it, I think the fact that you're going to have double the aerobic capacity at age 80 than your non-running peers, I think is, is a pretty good reason to continue running. Uh, I also think too, that, you know, when you think about running, I, I mean, there are a lot of reasons to run. And I think besides just being able to fit into your pants a little bit easier, maybe, and, you know, work on it, keep your aerobic capacity up. I mean, there's so many important psycho, psychosocial benefits to running. Uh, as well as improving connective tissue health and so forth. But, uh, but yeah, but, you know, going back to what happens as we age, you know, we, you know, we definitely lose some, some, some cardiovascular function and, you know, so our, our the VO2 max, which is the total amount of um, oxygen at your peak when you're, you know, when you're um, at, at full exertion that you're consuming uh, tends to decline. Um, and so we lose about 7% of your VO2 max per decade. Um, and so, and that's a, that's a strong determinant of running racing performance. Um, and so when, when you look at, you know, some of the things when we talk about decline and running performance that occurs, we lose about 8%. And like, when you look at finishing times, um, as they look at athletes across, uh, you know, different age groups, they decline about 8% per decade as well. So there, those two things are occurring kind of at the same time, um, so I think that I think that's that's certainly something to think about. You know, our max heart rate we lose about you know 0.7 beats um, per minute per year um, between the ages of 20 and 90. Um, so you know, so we have a we have a cardiovascular system that essentially is starting to kind of slowly lose some capacity. Um, you know, as 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 we age. Do you think these changes you mentioned are they going to be more apparent in kind of the more elite runner, or is the recreational runner going to notice them as much as well? Yeah, I think that's a super question, um, and you know it's really hard because you know we kind of need like really long, like these long-term longitudinal studies where we follow runners um, over the, the course of their lifespan. 
and which means we have to sit around and wait for those results to come out. So um, they're difficult um, to do and they're expensive and I mean, it's tracking people down and, and so forth. But there, there have been a couple of studies that have looked at this uh, and what, what it ends up happening is that when you, you can kind of divide people up into three different types of, of runners, we can kind of take a look at, you know, the, the highly trained um, aging runner. We can kind of look at more like the kind of fitness type runner who's kind of running for, you know, just overall health benefits. And then we can kind of look at someone who's just, who, who's not running, you know, and when you, when you, when you look at those things, the, the decline uh, and VO2 max, um, it, it, it affects the person who's not training the most, as, as you would expect, followed by that um, that regular fitness trainer. Um, and then for the, you know, someone who is that elite trainer between like the ages of 20 and their mid 40s, you know, they're only losing about, you know, less than 6% of their VO2 max um, per, you know, per, per decade um, versus for someone who is not training whatsoever, they're losing 15%. So it's a, you know, you're almost looking at a third the loss of your VO2 max uh, if you continue to run at a, at, a, at a high level. So, and, you know, you look at, you know, just recently in, in, from the U.S., uh, Bernard Lagat, um, who is a, you know, famous uh, middle distance runner here. I mean, he just, he just set the, uh, I think the U.S. Masters uh, marathon record in Australia, I think just last weekend, I think he ran a 212. So I think he's 44. So mm-hmm. that's pretty spectacular. I mean, you can, if you're, if you continue to train and, and run at very high levels um, and kind of continue to challenge yourself, there seems to be, uh, you know, if you, you kind of tend to preserve that aerobic function, uh, certainly to a larger degree than if you're just going out and running for fitness. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And how about, is there any differences? Because you see, obviously, you're the, at the head of the research, but between men and women, is the age similar where you start noticing these these kind mm. of uh, deficits or can it vary? You know, that's a good question. I, I, I don't know the answer to that. I, if I, I, I think if we probably go back and look at those look at those studies, I think that the decline is, I don't think that they split them up between males and females. Um, All right. But um, there are probably some biological sex uh, specific changes that are occurring, but that's not something I've, I've, that I've seen in the literature that at least that I'm aware of, but that's a, that's a great question with, you know, are there sex specific age related changes, uh, you know, with running and running I mean, kind of physiology and performance? I don't think they've done a study, but observing, I mean, definitely guys by the time they get to about 30, 35, and this is well documented. They make that noise when you get out of a chair or a car seat and you get that. <laughs> oh, you know? and yeah. I'm, I'm sure you've experienced it. I don't really see women doing it, but guys get to that age. I don't know if that's actually physiologically responsible or just, but it definitely happens. Isn't it? Uh, yeah. I don't know. I think my, my wife might have some theories on that, but <laughs> she would, she would tell you that, that I probably am a little more dramatic, but um, <laughs> that I probably need to be. So, but yeah, I, I mean, uh, you know, so you know, aging and running, it, there's it, like I said, so mat- like multifactorial. It's a large psychosocial component to it too. I mean, you know, we get into our mid-thirties, and you know, it's like when I was in my twenties, I could go for a run any time of the day, and you know, even into the night, I would sometimes if I didn't get my run in, I would jump out and go out for a run at eleven o'clock at night. Um, I have a five and a half year old now, and you know, he's he's a bit of a gremlin. He takes up a lot of my time and energy, and I can't just leave all the time and um so that makes it a little bit tougher um not to blame my decline in running performance on my five and a half year old that wouldn't be very fair but you know but but you know things change you know we get a job and and um you have life stress um 
you know, I know I can speak for myself <clears> that my sleep quality is not quite as good as it used to be. And I know too, that, you know, when I get, when I get stressed and, you know, my sleep quality certainly declines and, and all those things kind of carry over into your, to the running that we do. Um, and so one of the things, you know, there's, and I think it's a, I think there's something to this. And when you look at those kind of longitudinal data, but I, you know, I really think that there's something to the fact that, you know, are we losing running performance and function because we're, you know, because we're aging or is it more so because of changes in our running training practices and our overall health? And so, you know, I think if we, and I'm not saying you need to continue to train like you're a 16 year old, but I think if we continue to work in our, you know, high or fast runs, like maybe go to the Tuesday night track workouts, um, if we continue to kind of, you know, target some races throughout the year and, and, you know, really kind of target specific times, um, you know, it's like all things, if you measure it, it it's going to matter. You know, it's, and uh, if you don't measure it, you'll probably kind of lose track of it. So I think I think that the there's a real intensity component that we probably lose as we age. Um, and again, I think it's a psychosocial thing. We tend to start running the same speed all the time, and rather than kind of doing better training practices, like we would, what we considered like a polarized training approach, where you're either running really you know really high intensity or kind of lower intensity, which is we know from uh, you know, a lot of research that's coming out and, and aerobic athletes that that's really the best way to train. Yeah, I think, I mean, you've nailed on the head. Like I remember when I was younger, you know, you would get up at one o'clock in the morning, you'd open an eye and go, oh, I'm not tired to go for a run. And, you know, you look at that across the, the you know, a week or a month or a year and it would make all the difference. But there's definitely, that's what must make research so difficult. There are these psychosocial factors. Like, can I be bothered? It's that voice in your head where you do actually maintain that pace or you finish the run. Or I think naturally as you get older, for most masters runners, you've just got less of that. You haven't got so much to prove, have you, to yourself? Yeah. You know, not for everybody, it's generalizing. And I think that's part, you have to have that to be able to put up with kids, to be able to get on with life at an older age, you've got to lose. So, you know, you've got to become a little bit more humble, haven't you? And not kind of, mm-hmm. especially, and, and then you, if you settle down with one person, you know, if you, you find your partner and then suddenly, you know, I'm sure this goes for men and women, you, you just haven't got, I mean, partners might kill me. My wife might, you haven't got so much to prove, have you? It's not like you're stepping out your front door and thinking, right, who's going to be the mother of my children every day? Which is what you do when you're single. <laughs> it's, it's true, though. Isn't it? it must, uh, no comment. comment. <laughs> no comment. I know my but wife will watch this, so no comment. But, but it's kind uh, of like that when you go out for a run. You step out the door, and you haven't got that teenage kind of right. This is the only day I care about in my life, and I'm going to make this a killer run. And it's just not there, is it really? Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's funny though. I think that there's, you know, going back to the the psychosocial part of it. I mean, I, you know, just with my travels and, and, and so forth. I mean, what, what you kind of describe is, you know, I see that a lot in the U S um, and there's some, definitely some masters runners who are still bringing it at races and finishing, at least certainly where I live, um, finishing really quite high. Um, but you look at, you look at some other countries, like when I go to um, Scandinavia uh, and the Norwegians are really good about this. They kind of, kind of back off a little bit in their twenties. Um, and then when they, when they hit 40, man, it's on. And there, there, I, I don't know if there's, there are many more, many, I guess anybody who's more intense at that age group than the masters Scandinavian, 
you know? Right. So, um, and at least in my experiences, they, they all seem to be, they've all got goals and so forth. So I think that kind of goes back to like, just how important that is to, to kind of really have some goals. And I mean, of course, if it's, you know, if it's important to you, you know, if, if it's not important to you, you don't have to do it, but if you're looking to continue to run fast and, um, you know, and, uh, you know, I think you need, you definitely need to have some intensity and some goals. Yeah, definitely. And it can be done. You just got to, yeah, just kind of change the chip a little bit and make sure the people around you understand. And cause that's the other thing, you know, you've got to find time. I mean, if you're working more and you've got kids, you might get a guilt trip saying, oh, I can't really go out, but mm-hmm. you want to keep up. Yeah. What are yeah, the, but... what about when it comes to actual injuries then let's get down to what we do know about, do the injuries change? Do you see different injury patterns in older athletes? Yeah, for sure. And um, so, you know, I think a good thing to do is maybe contrast the uh, the, the teenage or adolescent runner with the master's runner. Uh, when we're younger, we tend to get kind of more, more bony injuries. So medial tibial stress syndrome, I think kind of that's commonly recalled or called, you know, um, uh, like shin splints um, or patellofemoral pain you know, IT band pain, those are kind of going to be more the types of injuries that your adolescent runner is going to experience. Um, so if you can kind of think more kind of, kind of bony or articular injuries when we're, when we're younger, and then things kind of shift as we get, as we get older, um, they tend to shift more toward below the knee injuries. Uh, we see a lot more soft tissue type injuries. So, um, you know, knee pain is not a big issue with the master's runner. Um, but in shin, shin splints or even tibial stress fractures are not a big issue for the master's runner, but we see a much, um, a big shift towards soft tissue injuries. So things like, you know, much greater, uh, incidence of plantar fasciopathy, uh, Achilles tendinopathy, calf strains. Um, so plantar flexor type injuries are the real biggies when we're looking at, um, the runner over the age of 40. Mm-hmm. And do you think that, I mean, has there been conclusions then, and that's to do with the loss of kind of strength and thresholds in muscle and soft tissue? Do you think that's what it's down to? Yeah. So we lose. So, you know, I think it's worth, you know, appreciating the fact that the plantar flexors have such a massive role in, in running. I think a lot of time, I think the, the lay person and particularly if you pick up runner's world, at least in the United States, you'll kind of walk away with the impression that running is a gluteus or gluteal dominant exercise that we're lo- using our hip extensors so much, but really running, we, you know, is about 50 to 55% of our kind of our, our total support uh, of our body comes from, you know, comes from our plantar flexors. And so that's a, that's a massive part. And so as we age, we, we, we start to lose function in those plantar flexors. They, we lose, we tend to lose more muscle mass in our plantar flexors and we tend to lose tendon stiffness. And um, that's maybe worth kind of talking about um, for a second. But, you know, generally, like when you, when we think about like a really efficient musculotendinous unit, um, we, we like to think of it as being kind of being stiff and because running is essentially you're you're essentially storing energy when you land and then those tendons are then releasing that energy and so if you can kind of think about your tendons almost as a rubber band you're stretching it and then it's releasing stretching it and releasing um if you were to choose between two different rubber bands and you wanted to be a good runner you'd probably go for a for a stiffer a stiffer tendon or a stiffer rubber band um but even though like older people maybe like maybe in the thirties and they start getting up and they start groaning and they feeling like they're getting stiff. Um, but, uh, but really the reality is, is that we, we, it's a very steady decline in tendon stiffness. So we, we lose that ability to kind of store and release energy as we age. 
And um, as a result, then when we when we land and hit the ground, we get more tendon strain, and meaning that the the, the tendon rather than kind of being this thing that kind of stretches and then snaps back, it kind of, because it's less stiff, just think about that as a less stiff rubber band, it's going to stretch more. And then as when it stretches more, the likelihood that you're going to get some sort of micro damage to the tendon or to the you know, plantar flexors that are attached to it. And of course that, that tendon is kind of, it's not like the tendon just ends and the muscle begins the tendon. And there's that interdigitation that's occurring between the muscle fibers and the tendon. They kind of just works its way up. So you tend to, you tend to have a little bit, greater tendency to um, experience plantar flexor type injuries, um, you know, as we, as we age. And, you know, it's not just from an eight, from a, it's not just from an injury risk standpoint, but it also, that also really affects our, our running biomechanics too. We tend to, you know, we tend to lose about a 13, uh, a 13% reduction in our step length between the ages of, of 20 and, and 60 years of age. And, um, the, the largest contributor to that is a loss of, of ankle power. So plantar flexor power, so our ability to kind of push off from the ground. So when you, you know, if you're out sometime and you have a chance to kind of maybe go to a race and observe, you know, runners of all different ages running by you, you know, look at the younger runners and, and how much ankle, like, function is occurring. You can see how much they're pushing off from there. When you look at, you know, the older runners, particularly once they, you know, older runners get up into their mid fifties. And so you'll kind of see almost kind of a dead kind of push off, um, push off type pattern. So, um, and you know, when, when, when we age back to the injury thing, one of the things that, that, that happens then is, is that, um, you know, we tend to get more Achilles tendinopathy in those, in those calf strains and, and so forth. And, uh, if, if we continue to get injuries to that, I think that probably, snowballs into the fact that we tend to lose even more and more of that of that that push off power that we would kind of really need from our plantar flexors yeah and there's some some brilliant points which i hope people listening to this particularly runners um should bear in mind is yeah like you say we actually want to have stiff tendons we need them the analogy you use of the rubber band it's actually i normally use a spring but in actual fact when you look at the lengthening and the shortening it's better the way you do it because it is a stretch followed by a shortening but yeah it's the I, I always say it's compared to would you want to use have a slinky there or do you want to have a pogo stick you know if yeah. you're trying to spring on a slinky so it's the same idea but and again definitely in the uk most runners or a lot of runners are still obsessed with this idea of, of avoiding stiffness of having flexibility being able to touch the toes of being able to perform incredibly with a, when you line runners up for a kneeling kind of knee to wall test the further they can get their foot from the wall, the happier they are. As if that, wow, that's good, isn't it? And you kind of like have to break that kind of like, actually, you know what? You might be a little bit too flexible. We might want to get rid of some of that movement and turn it into something a bit more reactive. So yeah, yeah it's a big thing. Yeah, when you when you look at the Achilles tendinopathy research, there kind of seems to be, um, it, it's almost like this kind of Goldilocks zone when it comes to going back to what you're talking about when, from, from an ankle flexibility standpoint. Uh, to me, it makes the most sense if you have someone who is hyperflexible um, in their ankle. They have a lot of dorsiflexion. That person's going to be at greater risk for Achilles tendinopathy. But again, if you look at at the other end of the extreme, you know that your risk is a little bit higher if you're if you're very stiff there as well. Um, but going back to stretching, though, and I think that's worth kind of talking about. Um, for, for a brief second that I, I think also, you know, runners, I think we, we need to do a much better job of educating runners that, you know, really if you to even improve flexibility, stretching is really not the best way to do it, you know, and, and it's really strength training. 
um, is, is, is the best way to improve muscle flexibility. Um, and at the same time, when you're doing that, it, it makes the tendon much stiffer. And so strength, strength training, and I always tell runners, like, if you like stretching and stretching makes you feel good, um, you know, again, because we want to always try to keep in mind that there's a lot, there's a big psychological component to injuries. Uh, if you like stretching, that's great. Uh, I, I won't tell you to stop doing it, but I would tell you if you're pressed for time, your time's going to be much better spent doing some, some heavy, some, some heavy strength training. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, well, we've got plenty of material on older um, episodes of this on stretching. I harp on about it. I go over the top too much. Um, but yeah, it's, it's always <laughs> been a bug of mine. I always kind of claim that if runners spent as much time as they do strengthening as they do stretching, then they, you know, suffer a lot more, less injury and probably put a lot of physios and uh-huh. kind of sports therapists out of practice. But I think that's a lot of, it's one of the big problems. Anyway, let's have a look at, um, so, what was I going to mention? Oh, yeah, I, I do enjoy, I think there's a few videos online. I think you might mention it as well. Just a hopping test just to show, like, the difference between a, a younger or just a teenager or a 20-year-old hopping up and down as fast as they can. Compare that to somebody who's, like, 35, 40, and then you slow it down. You can see the difference in that reactive power. I think that um, it just shows clearly the, the difference that aging can make. Yeah. Um, yeah, if I can find his comment on that just real briefly, you know, going back to what you were talking about, the spring, you know, that typically when you look at it from a biomechan- purely biomechanical standpoint, you think about running and hopping as a, what we call a mass spring model. So the mass, of course, is your body mass and your springs are your tendons and connective tissues. And running is definitely a mass spring exercise or activity. Walking is not. So walking, running is not just fast walking. Um, but if you really want to see mass spring activity or, or you know, function, a single leg hopping, really can assess um, the mass spring model probably the best. And so that's why you can see some like a runner, they're going to look okay running or they look like they can kind of get it done. But when you ask a runner who's having some trouble with their tendons and so forth, ask them to do some single leg hopping and that it's going to become pretty apparent um, when when they're doing that. Yeah. So how much, let's imagine you get the older runner in, let's Mm -hmm. imagine and, and, and you, uh, you show them how they're running. And you show them how actually they're shuffling along um, and maybe you explain it, explaining why they're shuffling now, why they're not really getting from A to B very far because of kind of a lower stride length. How much do would you use gait retraining um, to to in, re, to introduce that? Uh, sorry, to Earth. restore that stride length or would you try slowing down cadence or do you put it the other way around where you try and build up strength first so that they they naturally change their running form or do you accept that you're a master's runner? This is the way you should be running now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, I think that's where we are. We don't, we don't know that answer yet. Mm. And um, so for me, I, I would, I would say, well, well, two things, um, you know, Achilles tendinopathy or calf strains. Uh, I, I tend to never run, change a runner's gait um, with those injuries. Um, and, and the reason is, so let's say, um, let's say let's go the opposite direction if you increase cadence um that it, it does reduce the demand on the plantar flexors a little bit but 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 not a ton and of course if you increase cadence or reduce cadence I mean you're going to take a longer step you have to push off a little bit more forcefully um but i don't know it doesn't I, clinically i don't seem to have a lot of success with um changing uh, stride length or changing running cadence, uh, when it comes to altering loads on the, like below the knee, I think cadence is probably most effective. Uh, if we're looking at, um, reducing knee loads, I think that's probably the best. And, uh, you know, I think too, some impact forces, um, 
are, are it, it responds very well to changes in cadence. Um, but yeah, yeah, I know I'm not really answering your question, but the answer, the, 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 the true answer is we don't really know. And mm -hmm. so I think for me, I have a hard time changing a runner's gait unless I can feel super confident that this is going to make a big, a big difference, um, for them. Mm -hmm. Um, we, we know though that, um, they're going to get much more bang for their buck with doing a, uh, great strengthening program, uh, maybe some, some changes in, in, in footwear, um, and probably some counseling on, on training loads, I think is going to probably be where you're going to get the most benefit out of them. But I, but I think that your idea about reducing cadence, so encouraging them to take a, a longer step length is, is a good one. Um, we don't know, you know, there's probably, there's, there are two different schools of thought there. Maybe you can improve train plantar flexor performance and try to increase that step length by doing that. Um, then there's the other school of thought that would say that, well, that's kind of their optimal mechanic or optimal movement strategy for their, the resources that they have, meaning plantar flexor function mm -hmm. and so forth. So that's a good question. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, if I'm in, in clinic, then I tend to try and put them both together. So because we, we know that studies have shown that just because you get stronger, for example, at calf raises or you do your kind of seated soleus raises, that's not necessarily going to translate to a difference when you're running because running is going to be like a blueprint mm -hmm. and habit as well. So I kind of try and put the two together so they do their 30 second, maybe lower cadence and focusing on a little bit of a pushback or some kind of like external cue. But they're doing the strength training at the same time so they can actually you know, uh, maintain that mm -hmm. pushback. So, but it's, yeah, like you say, it's going to depend on the individual and it's yeah. a little bit part of the jigsaw, it, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I think, I think though, um, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously we, yeah, we're not, yeah, definitely. We're not going to see changes in, in running, like running biomechanics per se. At least we haven't seen that yet with, with strength training, whether it be the strength in the hip abductors or the plantar flexors. Um, but we do know that, we do know that runners who tend to have more intensity in their runs, uh, this is some nice work from Max Paquette. Um, we don't, we do know that they tend to, they don't lose ankle powers as quickly. Um, and we know that there are some other times when you can kind of, um, that demands more ankle power, such as uphill running. Um, and, and again, faster running. I think that if you're doing more of those types of runs, um, I, I think that's probably going to maybe be a good, you know, good way to, uh, I don't know about restore plantar flexor functions. I want to be a little bit cautious in saying that these things are going to suddenly reverse aging. Um, but it, it certainly will, will help slow that, that loss of that function as we age. Yeah. Which brings you on to another question. Um, so it's, we'll probably come back to strength training in a second as in yeah, like what exercises and do you need a gym, but you, cause you mentioned it now, like, you know, probably the best way to become a stronger runner is to try and tweak your sessions so you're doing things like uphill running and getting stronger mm -hmm. whilst you run so would mm -hmm. it make sense to, to for, for old because I, I wonder whether slightly older runners start thinking oh i shouldn't be doing hills anymore i shouldn't be doing intervals anymore but could it almost be the other way around if you're older you really should be making sure you get this intensity in yeah that's what i would i would say that i think that i mean you know i think if you were to ask me like what would be the best recommendations for the masters runner i would say strength train so that you improve the capacity of your plantar flexors and then go out and use the, use more of that capacity. Um, mm -hmm. I think that if you, I think we're older runners maybe get themselves in trouble and I, and I hope no one 
walks away from this this podcast with this idea that oh I'm I'm going to go out and do some sprints today. Um, that you know when when you do that when you do when, you know of course the faster we run you're using more and more of your capacity of your plantar flexors and what I mean by capacity is like the the total amount of force that they can produce. So if you by it through strength training raise that ceiling a little bit. Then you go out and then train up into that ceiling a little bit more with doing some speed work or, or hill work. I think that to me is makes the most sense. Uh, and um, you know, again, we don't know that from a from a we know there's no study out there that does a that's been done that's a training study. I, I suspect that there's at least one going on right now uh, where we have older runners do more speed work or do more hill work and see what that does to their ankle power um, when they run on level flat ground. But I think if I were a betting man, I would, I would bet that that's probably the best way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that'd be a good bet. And also I think that would dip into, like you mentioned the psychosocial factors. There's this whole thing about, you know, you, you think that I'm not going to do any hills anymore. I'm going to be sensible, but sprinting up a hill, I always kind of like to remind runners that maximal kind of like sprint up a hill. You're, you're, probably putting your body through less stress than if you're doing kind of like a medium paced kind of run along the flat, because the, the whole incline of the hill is going to stop you from traveling that fast. It may feel like the exertion is huge on you. So like cardiovascular is challenging, you, but you can actually, it's probably a safer way, you know, to, to get your intensity rather than trying to go fast on a flat surface. So we're we, we right in thinking that. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I think, I think if you're looking to introduce some speed work into a runner, I think the best way to do it is start doing some, some hill work. Um, mm. And for the, a lot of the reasons that you just described the, the eccentric loads, um, you know, where you're trying to absorb that impact is are, are they're much lower when you're running uphill and the loads tend to be more concentric as we go uphill. And we know that, for instance, muscle tends to get strained a little bit easier with high eccentric loads. So if you're reducing those by, by you know, running uphill, I think that's maybe a smart way to do it. I mean, some other things reduce too when we go uphill. Um, you know, the the our, our impact forces are lower um, as well. But but again, for this population, it's just not it's it's just not an important thing for them because they're it, it's not it just doesn't factor into the injuries that they get. You know, if we we're talking about you know, maybe the adolescent runner, yeah, the impact forces are maybe will make a little bit bigger difference. Mm -hmm. Okay. And as you warned, we're not saying that this is this podcast, especially if you haven't done a hill yet, you try and find the most <laughs> steepest hill in your town and jump it. In fact, yeah. the incline doesn't even have to be that big, does it? We're only talking about a slight incline for 10, 20, 10 15 seconds. Mm -hmm. But yeah, as in always, gradually introducing these things to your training program, et cetera, et cetera. And we will not be responsible for any injuries caused by listening to it. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> let's, uh, let's take it back to the gym then. So yeah. strength training, uh, we need to try and minimize this, um, uh, decreasing in strength in this, um, loosening off the tendons. Um, how do we go about it? Do we need the gym? Can we do it at home? Well, I mean, that, so the nice thing about, uh, plantar flexors are, they don't really need a lot of specialized equipment to, to do some strength training, but what you do need is enough load. Uh, and, um, so just doing a standing heel raise where you're standing on the edge of a step and drop, letting your, letting your heel drop down below and raising up, I, you know, that's going to be just a great kind of core exercise for the, you know, for the, for the runners as we age. And so for me, I mean, that's something I do. I do a lot of calf raises during, you know, I go to the gym two to three times a week and uh, I definitely make sure I spend some time taking care of my plantar flexors. And when, when you look at doing those calf raises, um, you know, that's going to be a great way to do that. And of course, that's going to kind of really hit 
you know, your gastrocnemius muscle and also your underlying soleus muscle. Um, because we kind of have, we have, you know, three muscles that really make up your plantar flexors, your medial gastroc, your lateral gastroc, and your soleus. And when, when you look at those, the, um, the, uh, the soleus is about 66% uh, of the total muscle volume of our plantar flexors. And so um, when you look at working on the soleus, um, you know, you need to have the knee bent a little bit more. And so that's where it's, it's a easier to target that muscle when we go to the gym and do seated calf raises. And I think that's a, for me, I think if you were to ask me what's the main exercise to do, um, you know, if you're kind of pinched for equipment and you need to do it at home, do a standing calf raise. Um, and it, best case scenario, join a gym and do some, some seated calf raises. Uh, and the reason is if you bend your knee more than, more than 60 degrees, so, and certainly if you're at 90 degrees, it, it puts the gastrocnemius on slack because that muscle crosses the knee joint and the, the muscle is doing all the work there, uh, then it's your soleus. And the reason why we care about the soleus so much is that when we run, um, the soleus, we talked about how, how important the plantar flexors are with running, but when you, when you really look at it and you break them down into the individual muscles, it's really the soleus that has the highest, far and away the highest loads and the highest contributor to our, our push-off force and our, our total support of our body mass when we're running. Yeah, definitely. It's a big one that I try and make clear to an awful lot of runners. And to tell you the truth, I mean, I'm not... Obviously, strength training's got to fit into the runner's lifestyle, but if I've got a runner, particularly if they're rehabbing a calf strain or something and they need some weighted celeus exercises, I'm very keen that they actually, even if they just join up for gym for a month, because I think what the gym, mm -hmm. in the case of celeus, you need, because I think, I think I read somewhere that a, a healthy runner on average should be able to kind of, I can't remember how many reps it was, but we're talking about probably half your body weight on a, on a single leg um, calf raise. Um, as, as, a, as a respectable amount, which so if you're talking about a 90k runner or something, that's like 45k, which you're not going to have hanging around your house. It's not like a dumbbell. It's going to be a couple of plates. I try and tell runners, oh, just go to your local garden center and get a bag of compost or some cement or something. Or And people do do this. But, but then you've got the problem with progression. The nice thing about a gym is once you see yourself getting stronger, you can go up the stack and get another thing or you can chuck another 10k plate on top. Whereas if yeah. you're doing it at home, you haven't got that. What are you going to do? You're going to kind of add something on top of your bag of cement or it's kind of, I'm sure. big on gyms. I think no, I you can not. get by without it, but especially if it's periodized and you're going to have a month or two months of strength training and get down to the gym and have enjoy all that metal. Um, yeah. So Yeah. I mean, when you, when you look at, I mean, just the benefits of strength training, when it, everything from musculoskeletal health to even cognitive health uh, and cardiovascular health. I mean, heavy strength training is is really what you need to be doing. And I mean, the aerobic training that you aerobic benefits you get from from running are great as well. So I think those two things together. But in order to really get the kind of loads that we really were talking about, you, you kind of really need to join a gym. And so I kind of you know, I sit there and talk to runners. I just, I treat a lot of patients that have, you know, these types of injuries, Achilles tendinopathy, you know, plantar fasciopathy and so forth. And, and for me, I'm like, look, joining a gym is 35, $40 a month. I mean, how much did you spend on your last pair of shoes? Mm. You know, how much are you spending on like foam rollers and, you know, and all kinds of other stuff that's maybe, you know, sitting in a closet somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, this is going to be something that's not just going to help your running, but going to improve your overall health as well. So, um, yeah, I, for me, I, you know, I'm like, yeah, you, if you're traveling, we can get it done with maybe a backpack and throw some loads in there. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I always try to get a runner into the gym. And my, my favorite exercise is that uh, seated calf machine. 
And um, you can do that if you don't have a gym that has that using a, what's called a Smith machine, um, which is basically a squat rack that's on on some tracks uh, and putting that guy right on your thigh and maybe putting a big pad on there, I think is, is a great way to do that. But, uh, mm -hmm. and I also think too, that doing the standing calf raise in the Smith machine is a, is, is the way to get it done there also. Yeah. yeah. I think sometimes gyms miss out on, cause I know, I know what it's like in the States, but in, in the UK gym memberships declining because people are just taking it more outdoors now when they can as much more boot camps and kind of like fitness mm -hmm. classes outside. But I think gyms need to kind of make them, Cells look a little bit more for the athlete. They should have pictures of runners. They should have pictures of sports people oh, to get away of that kind of Arnold Schwarzenegger era of Venice Beach kind of thing. Um, that would attract more athletes because it's a huge membership. There's all of us telling runners you need to go and strength train. So if they go into gym and there's kind of like runners corner or something, that'd be a, I mean, a good stimulus to get some more members. So, yeah. Well, I think I think too. I think that you know I think from a strength training standpoint, I think if we kind of go, go back and kind of a, a you know, attack some of the preconceived notions people have about strength training with, with runners, you know, and, and you look at that and you, and you look at even older individuals. Um, we, we know that if you train, if you strength train, quote unquote, for endurance, which a lot of runners, I'm doing it for endurance, I mean, they're doing like 15 to 20 repetitions per exercise. Uh, you're, you're not going to see the, the benefits that we're talking about. You're, you're, you're missing the boat. I mean, and the way I say it is you really want to do a high repetition exercise, go for a run. You know, if you want to, if you want to work on strengthening your tendons and strengthening your muscles, go to the gym and lift some heavy weight and do it with your lower repetitions. Um, but, and again, it kind of gets the idea of like staying out of that murky middle, you know, it's like high, high rep, go for a run, strength and strengthen your tendons, um, you know, go to the gym and, and, and you know, lift some weight. And, and we see that too, when we look at um, you know, a nice study that just came out just this year, looking at older individuals. Um, they had them had control individuals who didn't do any strength training. Then we had folks who kind of did kind of um, moderate intensity strength training, and then they had another group that did the type of strength training we're talking about, which is six to eight repetitions, four sets, uh, and they found nice changes in tendon stiffness and, of course, muscle mass, muscle mass um, that you just don't see, certainly in that control group, it's not doing anything. But you also don't see the same changes in tendon stiffness that you see if you're just doing moderate strength training. Now, the mm -hmm. nice, the really interesting thing is, is that you still see changes in, in, in muscle volume or so muscle hypertrophy if you're doing moderate intensity, but you're going to fatigue. But in order to really get the changes in the tendon, you got to be lifting pretty heavy. So hold on, bring that back to me. So you can still see hypertrophy if you're not taking yourself to fatigue, just using, yeah. yeah if you're doing moderate, if you're doing high repetitions, but you're yeah. still, so really when you're strength training, you're going to get muscle hypertrophy Yeah. if you, if you hit fatigue. So okay. if you're going, you know, so if you're getting to failure, you're going to see muscle yeah. hypertrophy, yeah. but you're not going to see the same changes in tendon stiffness unless you're lifting heavy. Uh, okay. Still hitting fatigue, but with less reps. Oh, that's interesting. And that's a study that's just come out. Did you say? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, right. Yeah, it's always this question, a, isn't it? Of... It's an older individuals too. So, which is important. All oh, right. That's a good one. Okay. Let's look out for that. Cause it's always this question of, I mean, I think one thing on a basic level, I think is where a lot of physios go wrong is they're still kind of stuck in this three sets of 10 and patients, they mightn't even say that to patients, but patients go home and they just do three sets of 10. They stop at 10 because they've done 10. 
They could maybe do 20 or 30, but they just think I've done my 10, have a two minute rest, do another 10. And there's definitely this element of needing, I think, of, of taking it to fatigue. This whole kind of, unless you mm. give your body a reason to get stronger, it's not going to. But it's missed out. I think that's where an awful lot of, and it's a shame because, I mean, it's not just enough doing your strength training. You've got to actually fatigue the body and, you know, um, get it to to adapt. Is that fair enough? No, absolutely. No, I, I think that people get hung up on the, on, like you said, the three sets of 10. And there really mm. isn't anything necessarily wrong with three sets of 10. But the problem is, is that people are doing three sets of 10 and they're not getting to failure or near failure with their exercises. And then, then it becomes sub-therapeutic and it's not, you might as well not be doing it. I mean, there's probably some benefits there, but you really need to be, you really need to be challenging yourself in the way room. Yeah. How are you? I've just thought of this now. Um, remember a while back, and this will probably apply to therapists watching. I can't remember the name of the guy, but remember with the calf lifts, the idea of rolling the towel, towel up to put the, um, the toe into um, extension, the idea of doing. Oh yeah. 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 Up. Yeah. That's Michael Rathliff's group. That was it. Yeah. Is yeah, that still absolutely. current or was it over kind of done at the time and people jumped on it? Or is there still some logic to that? No, no, I think there's really good logic to it. Mm. So of course, when you do that, um, you know, the, you've got your, your plantar fascia. And mm. um, when we have high calf loads and we couple that with uh, first with um, metatarsal phalangeal joint extension. So if you're extending your toes at the same time mm. you're loading your calf, the, the load in your plantar fascia is, is quite high. And the idea behind doing that is to emphasize that toe extension as you raise up, which is going to, as you raise up, that's going to make your toes extend even more. Mm -hmm. And then you've got load on you. And so the load on your plantar fascia is very, very high. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, you know, what, what you're doing though, and you just can't, you can't lift that much weight when you're doing that exercise because the load on that plantar fascia is very, very high. And so, yeah, if I have a runner uh, who's recovering from plantar fasciopathy, I'll, I'll I, I do that quite a bit, but man, I, t I take my time. I, mm. I work on strengthening a lot of other things and start loading that plantar fascia. Cause of course, if you're just raising up on your toes, you're going to load that structure, but eventually I'll move them to that because I know that I got to really really target the load right onto that plantar fascia and clinically at least i see you know nice improvements better improvements than if i just did plantar flexor strengthening mm -hmm. so um so it all depends like when you look at how do we how do we load our our calf muscles versus our plantar fascia um the the easiest way to load our calf muscles is if we're loading our heel drop we have high weight that is very hard to lift up here you know, and from, from into some dorsiflexion up through a couple degrees of plantar flexion. Um, but when you're down here and your toes are not, are not um, extended, the load on your plantar fascia is pretty low. Mm -hmm. So if you, the way you can kind of think about it, if you want to optimize the, how you're targeting different structures, if you want to target your plantar flexors, you need to be strength training down here. If you want to target your plantar fascia, you need to be getting up on your toes. And you probably need to use different weights for that because you can't lift as much up here course yeah yeah i don't know if that makes sense but no, um, definitely i mean it kind of because i sometimes i purposely go into forums like running forums just to see what people are kind of complaining about and injured runners and it's it always kind of breaks my heart when i see a kind of plantar fasciitis or kind of or the other names they prefer to call it these days um there's people who say i haven't run for a year i can't get rid of it and i just kind of just drop like have you tried any strength exercises and it's kind of, oh, I've been stretching, roll it with a golf ball, do this, do that, ice yeah. and Evian bottles. And it's like, and then maybe someone's been doing some calf raises and I'll say, what with weights? And I just, my body weight. And it's like, 
who have you been going to see for a year? You know, it's just, which is why I do this podcast because there's, I'm not saying there's just, I don't know, a lack of education, not just amongst runners, but amongst healthcare professionals as well. Mm-hmm. And probably yeah. people who go and read your own work. That's why I have people like you on the show so we can educate the physios as well as the runners. Yeah. You know, I think, I think that stretching and like for those, those types of people, I think that stretching and maybe body weight heel raises have their place. Um, I think that early on, you know, in the mm. very early stages when you're kind of what we would kind of consider to be maybe that pain dominant stage, because you want to be loading these structures. These are, this is a, these are capacity injuries, meaning they've, you've extended the capacity of the tissue. And the only way that you're going to basically get that runner back to running is if you raise that capacity ceiling and you have to do that through progressive strength training. So if that means starting off with, you know, stretching, which, you know, stretching, but I think stretching is probably just a, a low load loading exercise because you're not mm-hmm. really you're not really going to change the length of that plantar fascia um you're just loading that tissue but you have to move on from that so if some people like oh i got a little bit better with some stretching or i got a little bit better with some standing heel raises awesome okay let's add some weight you gotta mm-hmm. continue to raise that ceiling up but if you have someone who's just sitting on the couch rolling a frozen water bottle or golf ball under their foot their capacity they're losing it and it's just going down and down and down and so um that runner is probably going to struggle with that injury for a long time. Yeah. I see the same thing. I get on forums all the time. I'm a, I'm a lurker, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and cause it just makes me, when I, when I get on in these, these, um, different injury forums, um, you know, like let's run. I don't know if, I think that's, that's kind of big in the U S um, yeah. uh, you know, I get on there and, and look at the advice that's been given around and, and it makes me really realize that like, you know, we don't necessarily have like, it's really the evidence is coming along and that's, that's great. Um, but we really have a knowledge translation problem. Mm-hmm. How, how can we help runners understand what are going to be best practices for these injuries? Because rolling around on a golf ball is not going to make plantar fascia pain better. Mm-hmm. It definitely is. Yeah. And that's part of the challenge. I think is just getting this information through to the runners. But that's why I think educating the physios, whilst there's still physios giving out, roll your foot on this and don't, and nothing else. I think that's part of the problem, you know, and also I want runners to turn around more to kind of their healthcare professionals and say, you haven't given me any strength exercises. I heard the other day that I should be doing some of this and just get the healthcare professional to go, oh, Jesus, what have you been watching? You know, and just to update their, their knowledge. Um, otherwise it's just the instance is just going to stay there. But anyway, mm-hmm. right. Masters runner. So basically you are so far we've recommended uh, definitely lower leg calf strengthening taking it to maximum, not being um, afraid to take it to fatigue. Um, Time is obviously a problem for some runners, uh, maybe more so the older runner who's got children and work. And how many times a week are we saying would be necessary to see changes with strength training? Yeah, I mean, optimal is going to be three times per week um, from a frequency standpoint. But I think if you're, you know, pinch for time, I think, you know, twi- twice a week is going to be great, um, as well. It, of course, it all depends on the time of season. So, uh, in the off season or preseason, I think that that's a great time to be doing, getting in the gym three times per week. Um, once you start getting into, you know, if you're kind of looking at more of a periodized, a periodized schedule for your, for your, your year, the off season more times, once you start getting into some of your higher training loads, you know, you need to drop down to twice per week. Uh, and certainly once you start getting um, even closer to your competition, you need to start looking at dropping down to, to one time per week. Um, and, you know, with that, you should be doing your strength training right up until your event. Uh, a lot of times people will say, oh, I'm in my, 
you know, competitive phase or whatever. But for the runners I work with, I have them do their last, if they have a race on a Sunday, I'm do their last strength training session on a Tuesday um, and, and going right up to it because we, we start to lose the changes, those changes. Once we stop strength training, you, know, you, you use it or lose it. You start losing those relatively quickly. Um, and um, so I think that's, I think that's important for runners to understand that really strength training should be a year round activity. It doesn't necessarily have to be the same thing year round, but, um, you know, kind of break it up based on the time of year that you're in. And how about like once a week? Cause I'm conscious of, I'm not sure if there's been any studies on strength training, but I remember some studies showing that kind of the injury instance rate could be as high as if you're only getting out once a week, as if you're running seven days a week, it's kind of like a U shaped curve. Um, can that be for strength training? Are you kind of potentially wasting your time just going once a week? Cause you're stressing your body out, but not giving it enough reason to actually adapt. Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Yeah. So the, I should say the one time per week, that's purely going to be from a maintenance standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know if you're going to, you might see some small strength gains there, but I don't, I don't know if you're going to see big, big changes there. So I think that's kind of basically holding on to the gains that mm-hmm. you picked up uh, with when you're going three times per week and, and, and twice per week. Right. Um, you know, but it's really important for runners to understand that when you're doing this, you're introducing more overall training load to the person. And so when I have someone who comes in and I start putting them on a strength training program, uh, I have them temporarily reduce their running volume for a while okay. because so that because if, you, if they're already kind of running right at the kind of their overall kind of capacity for what they can tolerate. And then you suddenly throw this you know strength training program uh, onto them, then you're you're really looking for some problems there. So. Um, and, and I, and I think as a point of clarification too, you know, you and I, we, you know, it sounds like, like, you know, I kind of see this very similarly that the higher weight, lower repetition is the way to go. But, you know, for someone who's kind of a novice strength trainer, you haven't been in the gym for a while, you really need to start off at, you know, two sets of 15 reps, you know, for, for a couple of weeks and then kind of work your way down into those loads. Um, and that's, that's always kind of where you need to be pointing yourself toward. Okay. That's great. Um, what about in terms of, yeah, no, it's interesting you said um, running often we find ourselves talking about this sort of 80, 20 principle of 80% mm-hmm. of the time running at kind of like even low intensity and 20% making sure you're going for it. Would that be the similar with strength training? Do you kind of divide it into easy and hard sessions or you kind of maintain the same kind of session each time? Say you're going three times a week. Well, I think, you know, I think when you look at some of the evidence for um, maximizing muscle hypertrophy, you, you're kind of seeing um, two uh, heavy, uh, what you see science recommended is two heavy days per week uh, and two moderate load days per week, but you're still going to failure every day. Okay. Um, so when I think about, and I, I mean, strength is important, don't get me wrong, but, you know, when we, you know, when I, when I tell runners, I'm like, look, it's, you're, you're, it's more about getting strong than being strong. Uh, and that's why I think even runners who kind of perceive themselves as, oh, I'm a big, you know, I'm a big, strong runner. They should still be doing some strength training because it's not just the muscle that's getting stronger. It's the tendon mm-hmm. and everything that's attached to the tendon and bone and, and you know, including. And so um, for me, I think more of it from a heavy lifting standpoint, because what I care about, I care about those connective tissues because that's where most injuries are going to be occurring. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I don't know. I think if I were looking at what like what are going to be the recommendations that a runner is really going to be you know be able to make work into their their program and be consistent with the i I keep coming back to two times per week you know Mm -hmm. it's that's kind of going to be the best the best scenario where i know that runner is going to be able to keep up with it and not feel like they're losing a lot of their time that they're going to be able to spend doing what they really like doing which is running 
Yeah, of course. And I suppose if they're concentrating, especially on lower legs and maybe doing a bit of hamstrings and we're not looking for a you know, massively long session, are we? How they could potentially get through it if they're doing a couple of sets or three sets. We're looking at maybe a 30, 40 minute session mm-hmm. in the gym, Max. Yeah, yeah, I go to the gym twice a week. I'm in and out. 35 40 minutes tops yeah. uh it's it's not long so um and then i generally will go for an easy run after um or maybe later on in the day during my lunch break but yeah so you know it doesn't it doesn't take very long excellent okay then um right oh, looking at the clock always i'm gonna have to turn in these into longer sessions it's already, already been talking for an hour um just briefly because it's all been quite lower leg dominant is there anything i mean any other muscle groups that it would depend on the runner but should we be also be looking at any other particular exercise which you'd favor runners to do they've done their calf raises what else if they've got another 20 minutes should they be looking at yeah so generally uh i have new calf raises seated soleus raises uh, i think other great exercises are, are going to be some sort of squat exercise and again you know working on doing some heavy weight um so uh, whether that means getting into a leg press um or the exercise that i really like a lot are split squats um so that's probably one of my favorite exercises for runners lunges are great um as well and so doing those exercises are going to be hitting your hip extensors and your quadricep muscles we don't want to even though we're emphasizing the plantar flexors so much, those muscles are still really important, particularly the quadriceps. And then I generally have runners do uh, at least one hamstring exercise. So like a single leg, uh, like Romanian deadlift, I think is a great one. Um, or maybe just getting on a hamstring curl machine. Um, but th- those are going to be the exercises you're going to be doing is more kind of deadlifts, um, weighted lunges. Um, uh, I'm a big fan of knee, extens- of knee extension machine also. So if you're looking for something else to kind of round out your program, uh, mm-hmm. that's going to be kind of the other things that you're going to be doing. So if you're looking at doing three sets, you know, three to four sets of, of eight repetitions, and those are your kind of your, your core five exercises. Uh, I think it's pretty easy to get in and out of the gym in about 40 minutes. I don't think that that's, um, I don't think that's too much of a challenge yeah. as long as you're not spending too much time on your phone and chatting up your friends <laughs> taking uh-huh. selfies yeah taking yeah. selfies that's right so you're the master's uh, runner who's taking selfies uh in the gym i guess maybe more power to you so yeah yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> no, i think it's important because i think runners are very quick to put up barriers it's like whenever say which gym should i join I'm like the one that's closest to you the one that's easiest to park at the one that's gonna you know make it easier for you to actually go you're just lifting heavy stuff you know and like you say you could do it at home you could get some gear at home in your garage you just need some heavy iron you can pick up secondhand doesn't have to be that expensive no. it's just uh, avoiding these barriers because runners don't like it do they they just want to get out and be free and kind of do their forest gump down the lane they don't want to be lifting heavy weights yeah so and, and you know clinicians too i mean clinicians they should look around their their clinic mm. if, they don't, if they don't have heavy weight you know some heavy dumbbells uh, some weight machines where they can really kind of target the quadriceps and or target mm the planner flexors uh that's a good time to start talking to your clinic owner about investing in that kind of equipment because it's not when you compare it to some of the other equipment out let's say an ultrasound machine that's pretty cheap but like you said you can get all that stuff secondhand and yeah, yeah. uh, uh it, it give me a good you know a, a wide range of dumbbells and a knee extension machine um because i use it in our gym we use a knee extension machine we kind of rig it up so we can do the seated calf raises with it i mean that I can treat 90% of the running injuries that come into our, our clinic just with that, that yeah, way to do that. Good. Right. I saw one question. I just want to bring up David's question. Cause after all, I did say, if you've got any questions and ask you, let me just have a quick check. I think it goes back to what we were talking about before about the shuffling kind of thing. 
Um, it's just for those on the podcast. It says, so interesting, guys. Thank you, David. Um, I find it really hard to do almost anything but shuffle on my easy runs. Does it matter as the impact is less than running a faster workout? In the end, I spend more time per week running easy. Could you comment on different mechanics at different paces? So basically, David's worried about the fact when he is having an easy run, he feels like he's shuffling. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, so I think, so I, what I would say to that is uh, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, yeah, when you're going easy, you're going to be, your step length is less uh, and you're going to be, your impact forces are certainly lower. Um, yeah, that's ex- exactly. And and that, I think though, that you got to intersperse that with some some higher intensity training. And that goes back to the idea that like, if, if that's the only type of running you're doing, which is easy, and I'm not saying, I don't think that this gentleman does that, but um, let's say the average runner, if that's all that they, they kind of do, that's going to be the way that they end up running. And I think that goes yeah. back to some of the, one of the studies we talked about earlier, that if you're doing more higher, if you're interspersing some, you know, high, higher intensity work into your, or sessions uh, into your week, and it only, maybe only needs to be one time per week, um, that's going to help you maintain, at least theoretically, when you look at the cross-sectional data, and, you know, maintain that step length, reduce the amount of, that you're shuffling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would, I, think- I would say that running slow is, and that's kind of what we need to do most of the time. Yeah, it's good reminder to runners that, yeah, 78% of the time, depending on where you are in your kind of race plans and stuff, you should feel like I'm not doing enough. I'm just taking it too easy because that's when you're building your aerobic capacity. And then you should feel like when it is that 20% of the time for hard workouts, like you should be like, you know, scratching at the door ready to get out for that Tuesday or Wednesday when you can actually, you know, put some intensity in there. So, um, yeah. No, I think that's I think that's a key point. You need to come into that that session well rested and if you're running kind of that moderate intensity every day you're just not going to have that pep that you need to really get Mm -hmm. what you need out of that that higher intensity session definitely right well look it's uh 4 35 there's so much more we could have talked about i wanted to um oh there's so much more but anyway i'm sure there's enough information (laughs) in there to keep uh more than a, a few clinicians and runners happy um there's uh one thing i've got to ask you to do uh, before you do go and that's just uh you've got to give me i've been running a competition to get a free ticket at the conference which sadly you can't join us at because you've got another conference around that time haven't you, have you got i something? do, I do. Have yeah, you got? sorry i can't make it what have you uh, got that's more important than the uh run chat live <laughs> uh we have the international patellofemoral pain retreat is kind of right around that same time and uh so yeah it's just a uh you know it's a big trip i hope i hope to join for the for the second iteration so where is that again where's the patellofemoral it's in milwaukee right okay then milwaukee yeah so but uh yeah i see yeah milwaukee brighton yeah that's fair enough (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh no yeah i would love to come but uh yeah no another year that's fine no but thank you for just considering it oh no um, i'd love to Love but what have you been doing oh yeah of course you have you were here in march weren't you in uh pure sports when you're canary wharf and you're back again there soon did you say or yeah i'm, I'm coming in i'm coming in january magnificent and uh and then i'm also going to be in scotland uh, on that same trip um oh, doing cool. a course um and then i'm also kind of tagging on another one in uh in in belgium on that kind of that that swing um oh, over there cool. so yeah it's kind of putting together some courses with meeting some with some collaborators and so it'll, yeah, be, yeah. it'll be a great trip Okay, fantastic. Well, I've had for the last week um, just a chance to win a free place on our conference in October in Brighton. Uh, I've actually got uh, 39 people on this list in front of me here. So I've just got to ask you, Dr. Rich Willie, to pick a number. Don't feel too pressurized. You're just kind of giving this person £235 worth of conference for free. So take your time. Just give me a number between naught 
Um, and how many have we got on here? 30, 35. Yeah. yeah, let's do 28. 28, exciting. I'll, add, I'll edit in a drum roll on the podcast version of this. Okay. 28 scrolling down, and we've got Manny on Instagram. Oh, yeah, Manny underscore O on Instagram. I remember Manny. He produces some good videos. I think he had some gate retraining videos on Instagram. Well, there you go. Uh, Manny yeah. uh, underscore O on Instagram. Um, Dr. Richard Willie has just given you 235 quid, mate. Uh, to yeah. come to the Brighton Conference on the 30th and 31st. So, yeah, you should definitely tweet him a thank you. Um, you're on Twitter most of all, aren't you? Richard, yeah, I'm, you I'm on Twitter. We also uh, have an Instagram account. Uh, I'm starting to spend more time on there because uh, I like pictures. So, uh, <laughs> that, that, our, <laughs> and um, the, our Instagram account is Montana Running Lab. Okay. Yeah, so that's a good place to, to follow us. And, uh, yeah, sorry, I can't make it. It looks like you've got uh, a, a great host of speakers. Um, so I've got a couple of collaborators in there, JF, <laughs> JF Escoulier and, and Izzy Moore, uh, and, uh, who, who I think is, is fantastic. So Definitely. Really, I'm really sure they'll be, I'm sure they'll be crazy. referencing you anyway. I'm sure your name up name will come up many a time. Yeah, as I'm soon sure as they dip into the research, we go. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, uh, maybe next year. That. Right. Um, what I'm going to do then, Rich is, um, I'm going to just put you down in the lobby again for two minutes, just to say goodbye to everyone. And that then I'll come great. back and thank you officially in a couple of minutes. All right. Thank you. All right. So thank you very Thanks much for coming along. Appreciate it. Cheers. Right then. Fantastic. Uh, awesome amount of information in there um, for the Masters runner. Um, and that's you if you're 35 years plus, male or female. And um, we've looked at physiological changes as well as the psychosocial changes, which all kind of make you up. Um, which um, could well be uh, meaning you need to make a few changes to your running sessions, the strength training um, and so forth. So hopefully there's a lot of information for there for you and also for the clinicians who are working with the older runner, uh, taking into consideration what uh, uh, Rich said about the, the calf training, the soleus training um, above all. Um, so, yeah, we hope you enjoyed it. Um, the Manny underscore O, if you're listening to this, I'll contact you anyway on Instagram, let you know. Congratulations. We'll see you down in Brighton on the 30th and the 31st, which is Halloween, uh, for the uh, One Chat Live International Running Conference. And there'll be details of that all in the notes. Um, I don't think there's anything else I need to say. I'll just say thank you to the Brighton Beer Company once again. Uh, don't forget, there is um, a 15% discount if you use the code RCL15. That starts on Monday. Uh, so if it's for you or for your your husband or boyfriend or anybody who happens to have a beard, then make sure you use that um, discount. Uh, so that's it. Once again, thank you very much for joining us. Um, we'll see you next week, I think. Oh, that's, that's that time of day. Let's see who's got to follow Dr. Rich Willie. I wouldn't like this as, uh, let's see, setting the bar very high now. Next Sunday will be, ah, Mr. Jeff Gordette of Runners Connect. So the founder of Runners Connect, who I used to write for, um, will be with us next Sunday. Uh, keep an eye on social media. Until then, we'll say goodbye and adios. You're listening to Run Chat Live podcast, putting the evidence back into running injury and performance.